before the throne. The throne of God is not necessarily the judgment seat of God. But you must also understand that every king rules from the throne. Amen? As we're going to look at the scripture, the Bible made us understand we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Amen? So that's a throne. And we do know that the throne is found within the most holy place. Between the two cherubims where God's glory is revealed. That is where his power is manifested. But there's a scripture the Lord really gave that I'm going to be reading. So that you can get an understanding. As I was meditating on this. Turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter number 14. So many of you don't like reading the book of Revelation. I remember when I was growing up, people said they don't like the book of Revelation because there are too many uh, bees and dragons and they're always confused reading it. You don't need to be confused about that. It's all about Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Bible says. Amen? Okay, turn with me to Revelation 14. Let me read from verse 1 to number 5. It's an interesting passage to me this morning. The Bible says, And I looked and lo, a lamb stood at the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, I'm not going to interpret everything to you, but understand something. Mount Zion is the church. Amen? Good. 144 is not the numerical number in terms of counting 1, 2, 3, 4. Then you have 144. 144 is simply the multiple of 12. Or 12 times 12, what about, what do you have? 144. Amen? 12 is the number of God's kingdom. So it simply talks about the increase of God's kingdom. God deeds in thousands. Remember what he said? He says, one will put a, what was it? One will put a thousand to fly, time two will put ten thousand to fly. God is always counting thousands. He doesn't count in, in twos or threes. So when you talk about 144, it's simply a multiple of 12 in thousands. Do you understand? So it's not one, two, three, four to one forty-four thousand. That's not what he's talking about. But this is the fullness of God's kingdom as it were. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Because that's my anxiety on the church. Okay. So, and now said they have the Father's name written in their forehead. The Father's name is the authority of God, is the nature of God. Your forehead is your place of wisdom and understanding. Do you understand this? Good. In other words, you're receiving the nature of God. Your thoughts are becoming God's thoughts. You are now receiving the mind of Christ. 144,000 are people who carry the mind of Christ. They have the thoughts of God. God's name, his nature, his character is being written in their forehead. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus said, you can pray in my father's name. I pray in my father's name, I can pray in my name. Furthermore, understand when David sent his own servant to go and meet uh, Naba. Is that okay? All right. You remember what he told them? You just say, go in my name. And when they said, we came in the name of David. Now, they didn't go there to say... David send us. When he say you go in the name of a person, you are representing the person. So, if God's name is on your forehead, it means in your mind, you are representing God. You carry the character and the nature of God. Is anybody following this? Okay. These are not the things I really want to, but I just have to mention them. Okay, verse number two. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of great thunders, and I heard the voice of harpers happen with the harps, and they sang as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. And the elders and no one could lay that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Anyway, we have a book on this, uh, though I have not been published, but we have a, a complete study of 144,000. You need to have that. Uh, as time progresses, maybe ask for it. It will be produced for you so that you can have an understanding of the things I'm talking about. Amen. All right. But number one, the new song is not really talking about anything completely different. It has to do with, remember, when Moses crossed the Red Sea, he got a song with Miriam himself have to begin to sing. Is that okay? Right. 
So the new song has to do with the song of the New Testament people as compared to the song of Moses. Is that okay? Come on, are we together? You see, realize that when Moses crossed the Red Sea, he wrote the song. And when Miriam was to tell the people to praise God, they begin to sing the song of Moses. So there's a song of Moses and there's a song of the Lamb. Do you understand that? And we are meant to sing the song of the Lamb. So it's a new song that the old redeemed cannot understand. That's why it's a new song. It's a song for the redeemed. Do you understand? Good. Alright. Verse number four. The Bible says these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb with us ever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men before the, I mean, being the first fruit unto God and unto who? Unto the Lamb. They were not defiled with women doesn't mean they were not prostituting themselves. Women speaks of churches in the Bible. What it means is the system of the world have not corrupted their mind. They are pure unto the Lamb. Is that okay? Do you understand? Okay. So, it's, it's not as if everybody here has to do with male and no female. Because the church, it had not, not to do with male or female. So if you say they were not defiled with women, it's not talking about lesbians or homosexuals. It's talking about people who are not corrupted by the system of religion that's in the world. Is that okay? We're talking about people who are pure unto God. Virgin speaks of purity. When the Bible said they follow the Lamb, it means nothing is distracting them from following the Lamb without they far He goeth. They were completely disciples of Jesus, put it that way. Amen? Are you following what I'm talking about? You know, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He said, my fear is that you may know I want to present you as a chaste virgin unto Christ. But I may fear that you may not be corrupted in your mind by the subtlety of, of the devil. Is that okay? Good. So, people who are not corrupted by religious system, they are virgins before God. Are you that with me? And that is why people get it wrong in the book of Matthew chapter 25. We're talking about the ten fully virgins, or the ten, the five fully virgins and the five fully virgins. And then the main, oh, come on. This have to do with some people and, and the, the wise ones are going to be raptured. Foolish ones are not going to be raptured because they have no lamp. Are you? We have a study on that, I'm sure. Right. You know, but you need to understand something. If that is a rapture, just for a word, if that is a rapture, then we have a problem. Because we've got to understand that it, just the way I was told when I was young in the faith, that the, the wise ones were raptured and the foolish ones were not raptured. But if you go to verse 11 of the same chapter, the Bible said the foolish ones came knocking on the door. So who took them up to heaven? How we door were they knocking on? Because, you know, they told us that we're going to heaven and we're having the married lamb with the lamb. We've been raptured with the, the virgin, with the wise virgin. We've been gone. Fine. If we've gone as a wise virgin, how did they come to meet us up in heaven? Church doesn't think. Amen? We take all theologies, take all kinds of things and they'll be running with it. But God is going to help us. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. But this way, man, the Bible is telling them they are virgins unto the Lord. Their heart is set on the Lord. Wherever the Lord is going, they are going there. No distraction. They are focused. No corruption. They will allow the system of this world to defile their thoughts. Because they have the name of the Father written in their forehead. Are you getting this? And it's you and I. Because we are the redeems of the Lord. Now, if you look at this number four there, the Bible said they are first fruit unto God from amongst men. Now, I'm going to make you see that. First fruit means there's going to be a total harvest. The first fruit is a sample of the complete harvest. Is that okay? Hey, are you there with me? Okay. Now, if God intends to harvest the whole world, what he's saying is you are a first fruit of the rest of the harvest. Meaning your life is supposed to represent what the rest of humanity will come into. Did you get that? Because at this point, you have been harvested, you are kind of false fruit, but you speak for the rest of the harvest. Let me buy you and through you, people can see what creation will finally become. 
That's why you're first fruit. First fruit is not the total harvest. Are you still there with me? That means there are still people who are coming. Can I hear an amen to that? That's why you need to go tell them, man, you are a crop in the father's heart. You need to be matured enough so that you can be harvested. Glory to God. Now I'm going to make you see how you become a first fruit. But that's not what I'm dealing with. Let's just go on. That's number five. This is the key thing God gave to me. And in the mouth was found no guy. No deception. For they are without thought before the throne of God. They were without thought before the throne. That means they have been able to approach the throne. They are now, when you say before the throne, that means they are standing in the presence of God. Did you get that? So it's not a tomorrow affair. The redeems of the Lord are supposed to be before the throne of God. That is where they are supposed to be. Are you still there with me? Okay, let me explain some things here. When he said without fault, the Greek word actually means blameless. Hallelujah. When the Bible is saying those who can approach the Father, they are blameless. And I'm going to give you an example of a man that was blameless in the Bible. Hallelujah. In terms of the New Testament order. Okay, fine. Now, in respect to their trust in him, they were blameless in respect to their trust. Remember, the Bible says that they were following him wherever he goes. In other words, they have absolute confidence he will not lead them astray. They trust him. Do you trust Jesus in your life? Do you trust him he can lead you wherever he really wants to take you? Can you trust him? They were blameless. In other words, they know their life is hanging on Jesus. They're not going to trust anything to live. They trust him to live in this perverse and crooked world. Absolute trust. They were blameless. Amen? Because they trusted in him, he could take them to wherever he wants to take them. And because they trusted in his righteousness and not of themselves. Their righteousness is now, I mean the righteousness of Christ is now what? Their righteousness. Because that's what qualified them to come before the throne. Did you get this now? Okay. So the Bible said they were blameless, no corruption, no deception. And I want to say the same thing to you. You are blameless. This is why you are bold to approach the throne. This is why you can pray for yourself. This is why you can pray for people. This is why you find a sick person, lay your hands. I keep on saying that. You should have that boldness. Why? Because you are blameless. There is no corruption in your life. I'm just telling you this. You need to receive it. No corruption. You should be bold. You must get out of a sin conscious consciousness. You must come to the place of realizing that you have a boldness that comes from God because you have His righteousness. Hallelujah. Let me give you an example here. Thank you, Lord. See, you may think... (laughs) How many of you have read in the Bible and the disciples of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus were saying, because they didn't accept Jesus to go into a city, say, permit us to call down fire like Elijah. How many of you have read that? That means they have the wrong spirit. But in the midst of that, we're healing people. Why were they healing people? They have the boldness because God asked them to heal. They were not thinking about what was in their spirit. Did you understand that? So in terms of perfection, even when they were healing people, they were not perfect. If you want to define perfection in the sense of what perfection is, they were not perfect. They were not qualified. Why were they healing people? Therefore, you don't have to come to the place in your life where you feel that you are nobody. Therefore, you cannot do what God wants you to do. You have all the authority in this life. You are blameless. Hallelujah. Your blamelessness is already connected to his righteousness. And nothing to do with your life, nothing to do with what you're doing. Not one bit. Be bold. What did I say? Be bold. Speak as a believer. Speak as a child of God. Hallelujah. Are you done with me? Praise the living God. Okay, now, if you look at Psalm 32, um, Verse 1 and 2. Let, let me just read that. And then I'll move on to explain and give you a simple example of what it really stands for. Psalm 32 verse number 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputed not what? Iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no guard, no deception in that spirit. Your spirit is not contaminated. Why? It's so simple. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The Bible says, because of the fact that he is not imputing iniquities on you, your spirit is free. There is no deception, no corruption. So you must be bold to do what you are supposed to do. Did you get that? So David is saying here, you know what David is saying, what he's saying? It's like saying, of all people, I'm not even qualified to, to even sing a song unto the Lord. You know what he did? Committed adultery, killed the person. He was both a murderer and adulterer. Two, two major sins, inclusive. Huh? There are two SIM cards in one, one phone. Are <laughs> you getting what I'm talking about? He killed, he committed adultery. But God said, David is a man after my own heart. Now, can I say something? I said that to the leadership the other day. Some of you must come to a place of knowing the way you walk with God and you define yourself by who God defines you. Not what men say. Men say David's adulterer. God said it's a man after my own heart. Now watch this. Who made that statement in the Bible? David is a man after my own heart. Who made it? It's David himself. Check the book. Is it not David that said it? He knew what God says about him. He knew what God has in mind for him. He declared what God says about him. You have to say what God says about you. I'll give you another one. Who says in the book, Moses is the meekest man on the face of the earth? Check the book. Moses said, God cannot find anybody as meek as Moses. Who was saying that? Moses. He knew what God said about him. But David was the one that struck the rock. Huh? How many of you remember that? Instead of speaking, he struck. That was anger. In the midst of that, I said, there is no meekest man on the face of the earth compared to Moses. That's how God taught him. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'll give you another one. John, the Bible says, John, the disciple that Jesus loved. You can only find that in the book of John. Are you getting what I'm talking about? John knew his relationship with Jesus. He knew how much love Jesus had for him. He said, come on, man. This is the man that Jesus loved. He was telling the other people, this, you see me? I am the man that Jesus loved. You need to know how God deals with you. Not what people say. Are you catching what I'm talking about? See, John is the disciple that Jesus loved. Look at it, it's like this. All of you sitting now, you are relating to me. We have a relationship and then we're walking together. And all of a sudden, you stood up and say, Hey, this is Mike that David loves. You're telling these people. Are you getting what I'm talking about? It's not as if there's something that happened and they are saying, He loves him more than us. You are the one making the declaration. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. Go and read the whole Bible. You can only find that in John's testimony. You need to have your testimony, people. Are you still there with me? That's why the Bible says, in their spirit, there is no guy, no corruption. Why? Because God has taken over. His righteousness has taken over. Are you still there with me? Live as the one that knows the God that he or she serves. Don't allow people to define you or define the God that you worship. You must know who you are. Amen? Anytime I read that, I feel something in my spirit. When you keep on saying, this is the disciple that Jesus loved. And I find that his own testimony is what he's declaring. And he's even written the book for you to read. And sometimes when you read, you want to make comparison. You don't need to make comparison. This man is making statements based on what he knows about God. Praise the Lord. Others could not make any declaration. But I also love Peter. You know what? Peter with all his goodness and everything that he has, all his failures, all his denial, the guy walked on water. No other disciple did that. So check out the disciple. Everybody has his own testimony. You have yours too. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. 
Okay, let me show you someone who has no guile in the Bible, no corruption, no defilement, and I'll show you why it is so. And we'll go together. John chapter 1. Want to read about the man called Nathaniel? You read it before. Okay. I'm going to also show you why it's so important that you must come to this kind of state of being in relation to the Lord. John chapter 1, I'm reading from verse 46 up to verse 51, if need be. Don't put another ball there. Amen? Alright. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there anything, can anything come out of Nazareth? People often say the same thing with you. They don't believe that anything good can come out of your life. But let them watch and see. Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no God, no corruption. I just want to tell you, I'm going to make you see why Jesus made this statement. Why is it that there is no corruption in, in Nathanael? What has Nathanael done that Jesus is describing him? Remember, those who are in Zion, they are without God, blameless. Okay. Nathanael said unto him, Which way thou me? <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto him, Before the Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. And I want you to know the word fig tree. God is explain something to you about that. Amen? What's the next verse? Okay? Right. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Brother, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Okay? Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree. Believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. Okay? What's the next thing? And he said unto him, Very, very, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God descending and as, I mean, ascending and descending upon who? Upon the Son of Man. Okay, that's the story. Now let me begin to pick out a few things for you. In the first place, the word Nathaniel means a gift of God. The meaning of the, of the name Nathaniel means a gift of God. Everything we will ever get is a gift from the Father. Amen? Alright. The number two, as we progress so that you can understand that. So he said, Behold an Israelite indeed, he whom I... It's another way of saying, this is sincere Jewish man. Amen? Are you there with me? A man without hypocrisy. But there is something very important. The Bible says he was fig tree. What was he doing under the fig tree? The fig tree is a place where rabbis often teach these people, the disciples. They often take instruction from under the fig tree. So what was Nathaniel doing there? He was meditating. Are you still there? You need to cultivate this spirit this year that we're in. Nathaniel was meditating on the fig tree, and I'm going to make you see why I have to believe this. Hallelujah. Now, if you look at the story, you begin to tell him, because I say this, you believe. You're going to see more miracles. Is that okay? Outside of that, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. What is a connection? That is Genesis 28. That was supposed to be Jacob's experience in the place we finally called Bethel. How I many of you remember that? Good. So what, what is the connection? It simply means Nathaniel was meditating on the experiences of Jacob. Do you understand that? So it's like saying, is this what you're thinking about when we're under the victory? Now I'm going to make you see how it's going to happen. Another way of saying is, listen, the ladder you saw is me. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So the Lord of Jesus, where angels were ascending and descending, is Christ himself. So he was saying, what you were meditating about is me. Are you following this? Praise the living God. And the next thing we make you understand is like, oh, let me give you some few principles from this. Get the point right. Remember, he was meditating. And so when you say, there is no guy in thee, it's another one saying, you are not like Jacob. Jacob was a conniver. Jacob was, you, you remember that? He stole the birthright and all of that. And was running when he got the experience. 
Is that okay? And God had to change his name from Jacob to what? To Israel. Grace was ministered. A new identity was given to him. Not a corrupted one. Remember, he was a thief, if you want to use the word. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Now, there are some things you need to understand about the issue of grace and what God is doing. Why we must be bold to do what you're supposed to do. In the midst of the fire that Jacob was a thief, he became wealthy. Am I saying go and steal? No. I just pray you understand what I'm saying. Now watch this. Of all the fathers that God made covenant with, they were not perfect people. How many of you remember that? Check Abraham. Check Isaac. Check Jacob. Hallelujah. But the grace of God made it in such a way that the twelve tribe of Israel came out of the mouth you call a thief. You call him a thief, God call him Israel. Yeah, God is saying, hey, listen, Nathaniel, you are not like Jacob. Is that okay? And outside of that, let me give you some five major things why I feel Jesus have to make this statement to Nathaniel. Number one, you are not like Jacob, like I said, they could never. You are a sincere man. Is that okay? Remember, the Bible said the 144,000, they have no guile in their mouth. They follow the lamb with that favor. He goeth. Is that okay? So Jesus is saying, number two, you're coming to me from the religious wall of the Jews. Prove your sincerity. You were meditating. Light broke forth. And then you followed the light as it were. You came to me. You left the religion of the Pharisees, people. It means you are a sincere man. Amen? Number three. You're believing in me. Gets you out of the righteousness of the law. Into the righteousness of God. Praise the living God. Amen? Number four. Because you receive this righteousness which is from God, this will lead you to a greater basis for belief. And that is, I suppose, referring to all the miracles you can read about from chapter 2 to chapter 13 of the book of John. You're going to see greater things. In other words, you're going to have more conviction, you're going to have more faith, because you've left the religious world and come to me in your sincerity of heart after the ministration you've received by way of meditation. That's why I want to reemphasize that meditation is very, very crucial and very, very important. Is that okay? You need to do that. My wife knows I do more of meditation than even what you call prayer. I believe in prayer. I believe in prayer. But I'm often in the mood of meditation and God speaks to me. Remember David said the same thing. When he said, when I was communing on my bed in the night and then the word of the Lord came. Meditation. Hallelujah. Are you still there? Alright. So, this is what Jesus is saying. And then the next thing is trying to make him understand, I am the divine connection between God and man. As it were, the ladder. You shall see angel ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I am the divine connection. So, John 14, I think verse 6, the Bible now said, I am the, the Father. Is that okay? Are you with me? Praise the Lord. Besides that, number 6, place where the incident took place, the case of Jacob, later he became Bethel. What is Bethel? The house of God. What is Jesus saying? I am the house of God. Remember what he said. Destroy this temple in three days and I what? I will raise it up. And the Bible says he was referring to the temple of himself. So we're telling Nathaniel, just now follow all of these things. By simple meditation, revelation begin to come to who? To Nathaniel. The true house of God was now made manifest and it's now being revealed to who? To Nathaniel. Because what? He was sitting under the fig tree. Take time out, people, to meditate on the word of God. You're going to see light break forth into your life. Amen? Praise the living God. Blamelessness. Okay, let's see part of what our blamelessness really looks like. I'm going to make you see something very important in relation to the first fruit. But go with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Jude is one book. In case you don't know, it's just one verse we're going to read. Verse 24. Like Evers 25. Jude 24. Amen? 
I'm going to read from the King James and I'm going to read from the message. Jude 24. Bible says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from... Come on, come on. I, did you see that? That is able to keep you from doing what? From falling. Man, listen. You won't fall. You won't fail. <laughs> it has able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Okay, let's take it from the from the from the message. You you are not gonna keep yourself, he's going to keep you from falling. Hallelujah. He redeemed you and is going to keep you from falling. The message. Now to him who can keep on your feet, standing tall in his bright presence. That's what I want. Hallelujah. You can be standing tall. <laughs> you know... Men who are sin conscious, they always bow their head when they worship. How many of you remember that? And to, to us, it's a sign of humility. But actually, it's our conscience that is condemning us. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? But here God is saying, man, when you come to the presence of God, you, He can make you stand tall. Nothing is making you to bend your head. Listen, you can look unto the face of God and become as God. The Bible says, as we behold Him. Hallelujah. So what makes you become as Him is what I'm describing. God is making it possible through Christ that you can stand tall and look on the face of your Father and become as your Father. So that as He is, so are we in this world. You want to get your answers? I mean, prayers to your answers. You want to get them answered right quickly? This is the secret. You must approach the presence of God with a consciousness that you are welcomed. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, verse will say, well, you better pray for me. Because there's no time to approach the king. Is that okay? You better pray for me. If I die, I die. If I say, I want to go to the king. We're not talking about that now. You don't have anything. You see, everything that is needed for you to have access to his presence, he has made available to Christ. He's going to make you stand tall on your feet. Standing tall in his bright presence. Fresh and doing what? Celebrating. That is why you come to his presence with what? With joy. Not with sorrow. Not with complaint, not with argument, not with doubts. Come into his presence, rejoicing, celebrating. Hallelujah. Remember what we're reading. Said the 144,000, they are before his throne. They are in his presence. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to be anywhere else other than a what? The presence of the Lord. And the Bible tells me the presence of the Lord, there is well fullness. Not just joy, fullness. The truth is, Christians are not supposed to be sorrowful one bit, one minute in all of their lives. I mean what I'm talking about. It's supposed to be our Lord to always rejoice. And Paul will say, and I say rejoice. You know that what? I'm not just saying rejoice. In case you don't understand, I'm saying again, and I say rejoice. As a point of emphasis, you have every reason to continuously rejoice because you are in his presence. Praise the Lord. Okay. And if you look at verse 25. To our one God, our only Savior, through Jesus Christ our Master, be glory, majesty, strength, and the ruler before all time now, and to the end of all time. Yes! Hallelujah! Now, Hebrews 4. What will your blamelessness do for you? When you have no guile, when there is no corruption in your mouth, what will he do for you? Hebrews chapter 4. 
Let's go verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, we cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all point tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come what? Boldly unto what? The throne of grace. That we may obtain what? Mercy. And find what? Grace. To do what? To help in times of need. Hallelujah. Let us therefore come boldly because we are blameless. Hallelujah. There is just one high priest and that is Christ. Amen. Do you know the ministry of Jesus in this regard? You know, if Jesus had to go as a high priest, if you go by the Old Testament, remember something had to happen. You don't have a right to go there. You can approach the throne. You can approach where the ark is kept. Is that okay? You don't have right. The only high priest have right to go there once in a year. But you know what funny thing? For the high priest to go in there, they will have to tie bells around his waist. They put bells on him and then they have a big rope on his waist. Reason? Because when he's offering the sacrifice, he was offered for himself. The implication is, if he goes in there and his sacrifice is not accepted, he dies. Now, you can't go in there and carry him. You have to drag him with the rope. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So anytime he's going, there is fear. Will this man return? And if he goes there and keeps so long, you're already in trouble. Because nobody's going to take your own lamb. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You're already in trouble. If the priest is keeping long... This is why Zacharias, the people were already having issues because he kept so long. It's like saying, is this man dead now? And remember, if the high priest dies, your prayer for that year is gone. Until somebody has to come and replace him. Are you getting what I'm talking about? But now we have the high priest, people of God, who have access to the place, man. He went in there, no rope on his waist, no bell on him. He went in there, offered it, and he comes out and said, you are free. He didn't just end it there. He said, it is not as if your sins are forgiven alone. You can go and talk to him now. You walk into the higher place, walk into the throne. Amen? The Bible said in 144,000, they were before the throne. The presence of God. With the brightness of his glory, we need to be changed. The glory of God can change our lives. The glory of God can heal our mortal bodies. I've already been saying this. Moses was so glorious when he came from the presence of God. That is why he has to put a veil on his face for people to be able to see him. And just in case you don't understand, God has not decided to kill Moses by himself. Moses would not have died. Why? He has so much of the glory of God on him that death cannot touch Moses. Remember the Bible said Moses walked and his eyes were not abated. In other words, with his age, he could still read if he wanted to read. Amen? Are you following what I'm talking about? There is so much of our glory that every sickness and disease in our, in our lives, God can heal us. By reason of his radiation. How many of you know what is called Therapy. You know, sometimes they do this radiation, use this whole stuff medically, eh? When you have cancers. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Oh, what, what do you call that? This kind of ray or ultraviolet rays, whatever. Plug it to light and they begin to put on the spot and they want to kill the system. They want to... I'm saying there is light in God that can heat up your body. As me, how do I believe that? I just told you. Moses experienced it. Enoch walked with God. You know what that means? And he was not found. John, that Jesus loved, could not be cooked. I mean, if you know this story, when they were killing people, they said, John must be a wizard. And they brought a boiling drum of oil. And pick John and put him inside. They want to cook John because they couldn't kill him. 
They tried the best they can to cook him. This man was not roasted. His skin was a different skin. And they brought him and I said, this must be a wizard. There is no way we can kill this man. That's why they banished him to the island of Patmos. So that animals can eat him. He got there and started having fellowship with animals. God is great, people. So having fellowship with animals in the island of Patmos, where people can go. That is where the revelation came. That is where the book of revelation came from. That is where God began to minister to him. You are not going to die the prime of your age. Because what God wants you to see, you haven't seen it yet. Glory to God. This is the boldness of the righteous. <laughs> If you can't fear God, why must you be afraid of men? Hallelujah. If God is not ready to kill you, why must he kill you? What will have made God anger to come upon you he took by himself? And God is not angry with you? Glory to God. Are we still together? So come boldly. Man, you can pray without thinking back. You can pray without thinking about yesterday. You can pray. Am I talking to someone here? I want you to have the boldness that God has granted unto us so that we can approach him as our father. Amen? Okay. First fruits. <laughs> first fruits. Remember, the people, the Bible said, they were the first fruits from among the creations of God unto the Lamb and unto God. Amen? Who are the first fruits? Just to make you understand. I know people interpret this to me, the first fruit of the harvest of Israel. Well, that's fine. I have no problem. But I am saying it from a different light. Can we turn to the book of James chapter number 1? James chapter number 1. Hallelujah. How did we become the first fruit unto God? James 1. I'm reading 17 to 18. Are we here together? Look at the Bible. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? From above and coming down from the father of light with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning god doesn't change his mind when he blesses you that's why the bible said the gift of god are without repentance if he blesses you, he blesses you and watch this the blessings of god he has no sorrow so let it come from god you can take it from me if god gives it to me and if God blesses you with money, no devil is going to take it from you. And I mean what I'm saying. God gives you a pregnancy. No devil will abort it. Because the gift of God, he has no sorrow. Mm. Verse number 18. Of his own will begat he us. With what? The word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. How do you become a first fruit? Through the word. Begot means you were given birth to. Through the word of truth. First Peter will tell you that. Say so we have escaped the corruption through the word. The word seed in first Peter is from the same word Armor or spora, which has to do with the word sperm, and it has to do with that which brings fertilization between a man and a woman for the seed to be formed. And God is saying, I gave birth to you in creation so that you can represent the rest of creation. Now, watch this. We read the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Have you read that before? Like can I tell you this morning, somebody's looking unto you. So it's not just a matter of looking unto Jesus now, because we have first fruits. Now the rest of the people that have not yet been invested are looking unto you. So you go out there and demonstrate who you are. A first fruit of God for the rest of creation. By implication, you are a sample. Oh, come on now. Do you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> You are a sample of God's products. Now, 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 God in his own laboratory manufacturing things decided to bring a sample of that product 
and he gave it out for people to see. That when I'm true, this is all they're going to see around the wall. So listen to me. You are not like those people. You are a sample to those people. Now, they don't have to, you don't have to see them. They have to see you to become like you. Glory to God. Are you liking this? In your family, if you are the only one that is born again, you are a sample. So that through you, all others will come to that light. Man, you walk the earth as a sample of God. That is why you are a new creature. You never existed before. Oh, come on. Somebody get this right. God does not duplicate what he's producing. Did you get that? Oh, come on. And not counterfeit. Because the laboratory of God, no man has access to it. Therefore, what he produces from his laboratory, the design technologically, no man can replicate. Are you see that with me? That's why you are a new creature and there is no any other type like you and will never be. Hallelujah. Now, I want to make you see how precious the first fruit are before God. Then we can close. It's an interesting thing. You know, God is envious of his prototype. He's envious of what have never happened before. You know, those who manufacture cars, they can have a car and bring it to the market as a prototype. Right? Sometimes they have to test drive it. They have to prove it. They have to, you understand that? Before they must produce. Did you get that? That's a type of first fruit. So, you are a prototype of God's intent and design for his creation. What he has in mind is already revealing to you. Amen? Hallelujah. And that is very important. Now, if God, if man, for instance, had a prototype of a car, well tested or whatever, one of the things I believe the man does is to have dependent rights to that product. Is that okay? Why? You can't duplicate it. You can't replicate it. You can't copy it. If you do, you'll be sued. Amen? Is anybody getting this? Now I'm going to read the scripture and I'm going to blow your mind to see how God protects his prototype. Talk with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. I like this. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to read from two translations. You see, God loves you so much. And you must see who you are. You must begin to understand who you are. You must begin to see how God sees you. Amen. Let me tell you somebody. Tell nobody next to you. I am a prototype. There is none like me on the face of the earth. Hallelujah. You just have to believe this. <laughs> hey. Are we there in Jeremiah 2? Let's look at verse 3. Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruit of his increase. And you get that? It means it's going to have an increase. But this is the first fruit of his increase. All that devour him shall faint. Evil shall come upon them. See the Lord. This patent rights. You copy the prototype or try to destroy the prototype. God said evil shall come upon you. Maybe you don't understand it. Let me read it from the simpler translation. Can we go to the book of... No, you go to the message. I like this. This way you should be bold. This way you should be strong. This way you should know that man, your life is in the hands of the Lord. Amen? Look at that. Are you there with me? Israel was God's holy choice. I chose you. You didn't choose me. How many of you remember that? Okay. The peak of the crop. Just so many crops. Just the peak of the crop. Anyone who laid a hand on her will soon wish he hadn't. This is God's decree. In other words, that person will regret. Come on, look at that. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm talking about? Any hand, anybody want to lay hands on you, will regret for trying that. Why? Because you are God's prototype. Are you getting this? Man, you, your life is insured in God. Now I'm saying what I know from the scriptures. I believe God's word. 
God has a patent right on your life. There is no witch, no demon, no power that can touch you. Anyone that tries to touch you, we regret ever trying to do that. There's a word for you this season. That you'll be born to walk on the face of the earth as a protected, preserved, labeled by God himself. Hallelujah. Is there any man that tries to lay hands on this false fruit? He will wish I didn't try that. How many of you understand when a man regrets an action that he or she has taken? Listen. <laughs> Those things you call witches and wizards and demons, they are more afraid of you than you are afraid of yourself. Because you don't know. You are the first fruit of God. You are a prototype of God's creation. And God is jealous about his prototype. Hallelujah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? How many of you read the story about this girl that was raped and died in India? How many of you read about what the boyfriend passed through? Just to see that this girl is protected. That is a human being. That is not even a wife yet. A girlfriend. This guy was even ready to die. He suffered so much because of that girl. That's a human being. I'm talking about God. Are you getting what I'm talking about? And the good part of it is, you are married to God. You are God's wife. Hallelujah! No man can touch you. That man will regret trying it. Be bold, church. Know who you are. I don't care whatever stories or theologies anybody can preach to you. I believe in God's word. God has a defense for his people. God can protect you anywhere, anytime. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Why? Because you are his prototype. If anybody destroys this, God will go back to the laboratory. And God is not ready to repeat himself. One is enough. <laughs> One prototype is enough. Are you sitting there with me? And you are that prototype. I wish somebody can catch what I'm talking this morning. And then your faith will hit the roof. Because you know that God, there's a defense all around you. <laughs> Let me say something. Let me say something. You know what the devil was telling Jesus? After I said, this is my beloved son who I'm more pleased. Jesus knew who he was. But remember what he told him? Hey, he just crashed down and dashed your foot against the stone. Hey, hallelujah. You know what he was trying to say? And he says, God will prevent angels so that I don't dash your foot against the stone. What's the stone? The stone was written on the laws. <laughs> he was saying, come out of grace and walk on the law. Are you sitting there with me? But one good story about it. Moses himself broke the stones. Come on. He said, man, this thing is not going to work. He broke it. Are you following what I'm talking about? You are not going to kick your feet against any stone. You are not going to fall out of faith. You are going to stay believing what Jesus has done. Come on, stand up and let's give thanks to the Father. You are a prototype. Hallelujah. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. Exalt his holy name. You are the Lamb of God. You are staying on Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion, man. Nobody can rob you of your glory. Nobody can take what belongs to you. You are God's prototype. In the name of Jesus. Begin of thank the Lord.